Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Episode 52 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalist Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. Welcome, all aboard The Hilo. Very good. Very camp this week. Hasn't the sunshine in the last week been brilliant? It has, although it means I've been drinking too much. So jealous that you found some whispering angel. You can't find any in the hood. I'm too much of a whispering angel at the moment, I have to say. You don't whisper. You are a squawking angel. <laughs> I can't I can't do it anymore, Pandora. I drank on Friday night, I had people around for dinner, I drank. Saturday night, I got so drunk. Sunday, I had people around for lunch that ended at 11 o'clock. It was my own personal marathon, actually. <laughs> Everyone else was While Charlie's wife, well done, Charlie's wife, Mrs. Well done, CJ. Laura, three hours, 55 minutes. Um, it's been a bit of a blip, though, I think. Apologies yes. for our non-British listeners, because British people love to talk about the weather, especially when it's gone from a freak snowstorm to 30 degrees sunshine in just seven weeks. But it has been a bit of a blip. Did you manage to do some tanning during the freak? No, literally all I've done is done work and drunk. Done drink. Done work and done drink. <laughs> I, I can't, but I don't think I'm built for the summer drinking I used to do anymore. I hate drinking for more than one night in a row and when I say drinking more than three glasses I think I just I'm literally grown... talking to a blank face because I've, for- <laughs> I, I've forgotten what it would be did like did you not to... get a bit pissed up at the old Annie dinner had three drinks at the Annie dinner the anniversary dinner three drinks is many perfect. congratulations that's magical drinking do you remember yeah that old thing you used to prattle on about I know. getting up at 6am yeah God, you create a, new, a whole new lifestyle every quarter <laughs> the magical drinking really works which is you can't have more than three drinks yeah no that's perfect I think I'm gonna I try need to go and go back to that, that. Um, happy anniversary by the way what's two years of wedded bliss I actually don't know a baby tissue paper or something Tissue paper, a baby, passive aggression and lack of sleep. <laughs> no passive aggression, actually, just normal aggression. <laughs> Sunbathing with a baby is problematic, though, because apparently tanning babies isn't cool anymore. God damn it. Oh, no. Yeah, a pale, I can hear... A pale baby. I can hear the high-low inbox filling up as we speak. She's very pale, don't worry, no cool tan lines. <laughs> what else have you been enjoying um, alongside the Whispering Angel? What poddies have you been listening to? You've always got a good recommendation. I've enjoyed Carrie Ad Lloyd on Adam Buxton's podcast. Carrie Ad Lloyd is a comedian and an actor and she's so, so funny and brilliant. I love her. You've been on her grief cast. Yes, she does. A Well, this is going to loop back to something that we mention later in listener emails, but she does this great podcast called Grief Cast which I think we've mentioned on here before which I know has helped a lot of people through personal bereavements in the last couple of years listening to it where she interviews many comedians about death and particularly the experience of one person in their life normally who's died 
Adam Buxton was her first guest on Griefcast, and it's such a good episode. And it's strangely very uplifting and very reassuring and very funny. And then she was a guest on his, and she talks about why she decided to start Griefcast. She talks about what it's like to lose a father at the age of 15. And she also talks about how weird it is to be a new mother, because she just, they recorded it last year. So I think she just had a baby and she talks about just how fucking weird the whole thing is. She's just a really, really brilliant talker and she's also a great improv actor and they talk about accents for a segment of it and there's just this bit because I'm so silly and childish with my humour that I found I so that. funny. I'm just so silly. I just, I've, it made me laugh so much where she's talking, she's doing like a French accent and Adam Buxton says, do you like doing a French accent? She said, I actually prefer to do pretend French. Tu es ces moules pour faire la potasse que les Adam, ils ont juste mal à manger des fruits avant. Et parce que les mousses et cafou, tu suis comme les gasometers pour les fenêtres, je te fais la montre. That's the best thing in the world, right? Fake French. Where do you get the sounds? What are you thinking in your mind while you're saying that you stuff? You just have to get the. Are you just manglerizing English words? No, no. So I can do. Et où est-ce qu'on les tout les fenêtres scannent en route? And that's sort of Scandinavian. Scandinavian, yeah. yeah. Like, like you can. That's good. That man. can cover Sweden, Denmark. That's like, yeah, that's the killing. You like the killing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. On the subject of very funny, I have been absolutely like loving more than I've loved anything I've watched in a very long time. Love Sick on mm. Netflix. So, did you have you watched any of Love Sick? I haven't. I watched the original Scrotal Recall. Yeah, so Love Sick first started. It's a British comedy created by Tom Edge for Channel 4 in 2014, starring the singer Johnny Flynn, who's forced to contact everyone he's ever slept with after he finds out he has chlamydia. And it was originally called Scrotal Recall, which is just not a, I mean, I can see what they no. did there, but it was never going to hit mainstream with that. No. And it was a real sleeper affair until it hit Netflix with the third series, which has just come out. They renamed it Love Sick in the interim, and it's now found this massive audience in the US. And I had never heard of it before. Did you like the first series when you watched it? Um, I mean, I really love Johnny Flynn. I'm a massive fan of him as a musician as well. But I didn't, I found it a little bit, it didn't quite hit the right tone for me. But I've heard that Lovesick is, it's repackaged very differently. I absolutely love Lovesick. There's three series and I have almost watched three series in the last week. In my defence, each episode is only 20 minutes long. There's only about six to eight episodes in a series. It sounds like it's going to be really laddie, you know, Chlamydia, the original name of Scrotal Recall. Mm. But it's actually really moving and lovely and funny and sweet. There's this great bit I thought would really resonate with a lot of people where a character called Abigail, who is dating Johnny Flynn's character Dylan, talks about how she knows where she wants to be in 10 years, but sometimes the thought of actually getting there feels exhausting. Mm. There's this idea of where I'm meant to end up And I don't even necessarily know if I want children. But somehow there's still this picture in my head. And it's a cottage with a dozen kids running around. And I'm fatter and contented with books published. And I'm loved. And then on days like today, it just feels exhausting. The prospect of slogging my way there from... Yeah. This week I have been reading and also finding out that it is everyone's favourite book and what on earth took me so long, Heartburn by Nora Ephron. 
Dolly's nodding thrill. One of my favourites. Is it one of your favourites yeah. too? Yeah, I love So it. Heartburn is about a cookery writer named Rachel whose husband leaves her when she's seven months pregnant for Thelma, who has a neck as long as an arm and a nose as long as a thumb. <laughs> Um, I received a beautiful new edition with an introduction by Nora Ephron, which explains that the book is a very thinly disguised autobiography. And I just want to read a tiny bit of it because it made me laugh so much, this introduction. Everyone always asks, was he mad at you for writing the book? And I have to say, yes, yes, he was. He still is. It's one of the most fascinating things to me about the whole episode. He cheated on me and then got to behave as if he was the one who had been wronged because I wrote about it. I mean, it's not as if I wasn't a writer. It's not as if I hadn't often written about myself. I'd even written about him. What do you think was going to happen? Did I take a vow of silence for the first time in my life? And it's just Mm. the introduction really sets the tone for just a rollickingly good read. um, I wonder if Carl Bernstein went and set up a Goodreads account to specifically (laughs) give her two stars like one of my exes did. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it's it's brilliantly written. It's um, spicy and sassy, but it's also literary. And that's the yeah. thing with Nora Ephron, is she's sort of somehow, a bit like uh, Dolly Alderton, somehow hit the sweet spot of very accessible, Aww. but also just a little bit literary. Little bit literary? I think quite a lot literary. <laughs> no, I think just a little bit literary. <laughs> Say that very quickly. Just a little bit literary. Well, I take that as a huge compliment. Can you change your bio you well to know. just a little bit literary? Just a little bit literary. <laughs> um, <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment. It is such a beautiful book. And also, the recipes, it has recipes in it. And the recipes are really good. They really work. I wonder where on earth you got the idea to have um, I mean, recipes in your Who book. knows? I have to tell the story about Farley. Farley recently, my best mate read this Heartburn uh, when we were away a couple of weeks ago. Did she love it too? She adored it, yeah. And as she was reading it, she put the book down halfway through and she said, do you think Nora Ephron's read your book? And I just looked at her and I said, she's dead. She said, she did. I was like, she's dead. <laughs> Um, but no, it's it's wonderful, and there's a there's a film as well that if you love the book, I just liked watching the film because it kind of was just like reading it for Who's a second in the film? time. Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep, and it's called Heartburn. Yeah, it was very. It didn't do very well. God, I'm behind. Is it a bit like the televised versions of Jilly Cooper, which only people who really really love Jilly Cooper watch? Yes, I think. And it, yes, still found it very painful. Yes, I think it's that. I mean, I still appreciated it for. Um, for what it was I just loved the whole world and I loved the retelling of it and I loved you know that scene with the carbonara in bed I mean I've got a huge crush on Jack Nicholson so Jack Nicholson shirtless with bed hair eating carbonara in bed with Meryl Streep is just worth it for me I just can't believe it actually happened to her both of our husbands left her they were both having affairs but the way she writes about it was such levity. She does say it took years of crying until until mm. she could. But there's also one bit where she preempts emojis. Do you remember that passage? No. She said before she realised he was having an affair with Thelma, she sent Thelma um, the recipe for her carrot cake. And she said, I'm afraid I put a little face with a smile next to the recipe. I'm not the sort of person who puts little faces on things, but there are times when nothing else will do. Right now, for instance, I'd quite like to put a little face at the very end of this sentence. Only this one would have a frown on it. Oh my That's God. That's emojis. But you know, she was a woman who was very ahead of her time. She very loved blogging. She loved, yeah. So she was predicting emojis. There we go. Pretty cool, that. Another thing that has been keeping me entertained this week, recommended to us by a listener called Emily Scott, is a podcast series hosted by Ollie Mann called The Week Unwrapped. Have you heard of it, Don? No. 
it's incredibly smart and well-informed. I can't believe it's taken me 67 episodes for, well, someone else to bring it to my attention. I listened to the latest episode, closing the title, it's every week. This week's episode, 67, is amongst other things on India's rape crisis. They were discussing the Asifa Bano case, the details of which have only come to light in the last week over here. This is very distressing, so please take this as a warning for the next minute or so. Eight-year-old Asifa was kidnapped and held in a remote shrine for three days by seven men, including four police officers, who raped her repeatedly before killing her and dumping her in the forest. The Prime Minister Narendra Modi triggered outrage in India by her silence over the matter and indeed gang rape in general, which is a big problem in India. Some of you may remember the 2012 Delhi gang rape incident on the bus, which generated a lot of um, global discussion, but actually there are a lot of other instances which never really reached discussion over here. This week, India's cabinet declared their intention to introduce a law which would sentence child rapists to death. Human rights organisations have complained that capital punishment is not the right way to address Mm. India's rape crisis, Mm. which is often religion-related. Anyway, the podcast is incredibly interesting on this and a real range of subjects. For example, in the same episode, they talk about Kendrick Lamar winning a Pulitzer and they talk about rap and the role of rap in the music industry. It's just brilliantly well-informed. And Mm. every week, Ollie Mann has a panel of other journalists and broadcasters and experts, basically, within the field. It's a really wonderful, interesting podcast. What a brilliant recommendation. Thanks, Emily. And Dolly, you will love it. I'll go away and listen to it this week. I've got this whole back catalogue that I now want to go through. Another thing recommended to us from the Hilo mailbag this week. Thank you again, bringing us so many interesting things. This was recommended by Kirsten. And it's an article by Megan Garber for The Atlantic called When Beauty is a Troll. It's hooked off Amy Schumer's new movie, I Feel Pretty, which is ostensibly a feminist reworking of Shallow Hal. I'd actually love to see the film because this piece is a really interesting read on how being fat is seen not just as an aesthetic failing in society, but as an ethical one. Mm. She uses the example of Fat Monica on Friends. Um, whose personality is nothing like thin Monica. So she writes, she becomes bashful, childish, foolish. Watching the proceedings, you start to wonder whether Monica Geller, for the purposes of the flashback scenes, was given a fat suit or a lobotomy. It's a really interesting read, and we'll share it in the show notes, as per. I also read something on I Feel Pretty. So this is... I really want to see the film. It's obviously generating a lot of discussion points. I think it's really dividing people. And I read something brilliant on it by Amanda Hess for the New York Times on the rise of beauty standard denialism. Oh, I love her. I mean, that's an amazing way to coin it, isn't it? Beauty standard denialism. She does that mini-series I recommended a few months back called Internetting with Amanda Hess. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, I must revisit that, actually. Yeah, she. it's a really, really good piece. And it's, it's, like, it's quite um, an exhausting piece. And at the end, it's she's refreshingly transparent she goes through all these different thought processes and at the end she says I don't think I can really think my way out of this one because what she said is we've entered into this time where with a kind of very noble and admirable goal of feminism we often pretend that beauty ideals and standards aren't weighing down on women don't change their lives for the better or for the worse Um, don't determine many things about your fortune Mm. and instead what we do is we just flat out deny that that exists and say have a wonderful personality 
But then what Amanda Hess is saying is, well, then what do we do? Do we just say, oh, well, this is the world we live in, sorry. Or, you know, we're just going to accept that this is the structure we're in. Or do we applaud someone like Amy Schumer, who says, I'm going to try really hard to offer up a different option. But then what Amanda Hess is saying is, it's fine to offer up that option, but it's, it's not the true gritty reality. So I don't know, it's a tiring piece to read, but I think it's really important. I'm actually just going to read a quote from it. Women are expected to perform femininity and feminism at once. The movie suggests that the only thing holding back regular-looking women is their belief that looking regular holds them back at all. The attitude puts the onus on individual women to improve their self-esteem instead of criticising societal beauty standards writ large. The reality is that expectations for female appearances have never been higher. It's just become taboo to admit that. This new beauty standard denialism is all around us. It courses through cosmetics ads, fitness instructor monologues, Instagram captions and increasingly pop feminist principles. In the forthcoming book Perfect Me, Heather Widows, a philosophy professor at the University of Birmingham, convincingly argues that the pressures on women to appear thinner, younger and firmer are stronger than ever. Keeping up appearances is no longer simply a superficial pursuit, it's an ethical one too. A woman who fails to conform to the ideal is regarded as a failure as a person. So that has something in common with Megan's piece about this this idea of it being an ethical failing. All of these articles and discussions are not specific criticisms about the film because A, we haven't seen it. Which we should go see. Yeah, Yeah. we'd really like to see it. Um, A, we haven't seen it. And B, these are all questions being raised that I'm sure Amy Schumer intended to be raised. Yes, exactly. She's a smart woman. She's not not afraid of debate. Um, And it's a noble goal as well. This is the thing, like... Yes, it it may not be entirely real and it may discount a lot of um, sort of quite gruelling oppression that women feel either unconsciously or consciously every day. But she's fucking trying, you know, and to see a woman that's like not a size eight joyfully dancing with half her clothes off. I think I would have found that pretty cool. Well, it comes back to that amazing speech when people really started talking about her when she said, I'd probably weigh 160 pounds right now. I can can catch a dick dick whenever I want. (laughs) Thank you so much for all your emails this week. There have been truckloads and it's been a a very much a high-low mix this week. As always. Shout out to Gemma who emailed to tell us she feels like we are stalking her after she listened to all 51 episodes of the high-low in two weeks. We've done the math and that's about four hours a day. What possessed you, woman? I mean, I, I'm, it's a great compliment, but you probably could have learned a language. <laughs> or she could have done one of those driving crash courses, you know, where you learn to drive, I think. I think actually she could have learned to drive. So thank you very much for using that time instead to listen to us blither on. And thank you, Jess, for naming your two newborn calves, <laughs> Dolly and Pandora. She sent us some pictures and they are so adorable. They're so pretty. We will be posting them on the High Lows Twitter page. Unfortunately, Pandora was uh, busy following her mum around wanting milk, so she couldn't pose next to Dolly. Um, but as Jess said, they are pretty freaking adorable nonetheless. Oh, the irony of me being the one to follow someone around <laughs> wanting milk. <laughs> I also love that this is the first thing pair to be named after us. Is obviously a pair of heifers. <laughs> We've also had over... I've been so overwhelmed and moved by the number of listener emails we've had in response to the listener who wrote in last week who just lost her mother and was looking for support groups or people who've gone through similar things who are also in their 20s she felt that there was a real um, gap for 
for support groups in that age bracket. And um, we had, I mean, well over 150 emails. So thank you for sending those in. And we've sent every single one off to the listener. And she replied saying to us, This has 100% confirmed my suspicion that us millennial grievers are a totally forgotten demographic. I've already organised a few meetups with other listeners in London in the coming weeks, and I hope in the months or years to come, I can work with some of the other listeners to form and organise a proper network. As and when that appears, I will let you know because I think something utterly beautiful will come out of you having taken the time to read my email out. It felt like a really lonely stab in the dark. And now I'm seeing so much light in everyone's responses. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My mum would be beaming to know that I wasn't alone. I can picture her glowing now. Support for the Hilo comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From search to email to maps and beyond, it has a history of challenging the norm and finding a better way. Each week we are going to do a curiosity challenge in which Pandora or I pose a question to each other, encompassing the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the philosophical to the personal to the surreal. So Pandora, my question to you this week is fairly philosophical. Do atheists make their own gods? Christ. I think this is a really good one. Well, that's why I said Christ. No, I'd argue that, um, I mean, I'm not an atheist, so atheists, please do email us and, and correct me or share, share your thoughts on it. Do you call yourself Catholic or lapsed Catholic? Lapsed Catholic. Mm. But I would say the whole idea of being an atheist is the absence of having, a, you know, a deity on high, someone that predetermines and predestines your life. So I would have thought that you define yourself as an atheist if you don't believe that in, in the idea of anything or anyone being godly. But I think that... Isn't it sort of like religion socialism? Yes, but I think that that sort of intellectual nihilism that you often find with atheists is almost a cult within itself. So, But there's nothing godly about it. No, but but what is godly? Like, if that's something that you... If, if that's something powerful that you believe to be entirely true and that's your, that's your dogmatic about it, then surely that's a sort of religion within itself. I thought the whole idea of atheism is resisting dogma. I think I would argue that the structure of being an atheist and the club that that sometimes often engenders is a little bit like a religion. So uh, religion to escape religion. Sorry to all the atheists out there. <laughs> I think we need to open a bottle of voice debate for the rest I of the conversation. I think we've opened Pandora's box. Away. The Google Pixel 2's got a camera so good it takes beautiful photos in any light. And with unlimited storage, you can capture every detail and access all your photos for free from any device. Thank you very much to Google Pixel 2. It's now time for The Top Line, read by Dolly Alderton. Are you ready to go shopping? inside a very special supermarket. Radio DJ and presenter of the iconic 90s TV show Supermarket Sweep, Dale Winton has passed away aged 62. Tributes were posted online from the great and the good of Britain's show business, including Jack Whitehall, Davina McCall and Graham Norton, all heralding him as a kind, funny and warm man. The government is urging for a ban on two-for-one deals on junk food. In a joint letter written to the Prime Minister and overseen by Jamie Oliver, 
the Labour, Lib Dem and SNP parties united over their desire to push through 13 measures which would ban buy one get one free deals on unhealthy snacks and meals in supermarkets and also levy a tax on junk food. A man who dressed up in an admiral costume and appointed himself as the town crier for the birth of the <laughs> of the royal baby has become an internet meme. Tony Appleton, whose position is unofficial and not connected to the royals, loudly told the crowd outside St Mary's Hospital that Kate Middleton and Prince William were having a son shortly after the sex was announced. The laws on upskirting, secretly photographing underneath a skirt, may be about to change. Gina Martin started campaigning to make upskirting illegal after police said they would not be able to charge a man who took a photo of her in public. Justice Secretary David Gork said he was reviewing the current law to make sure it is fit for purpose. The parents of seriously ill toddler Alfie Evans will challenge a high court ruling preventing them from taking him to Italy for further treatment. The 23-month-old life support was withdrawn on Monday after the court ruled Liverpool's Alderhey Children's Hospital could end his care. He's been there since 2016 with a rare, undiagnosed, degenerative neurological condition. The leader of Germany's Jewish community has advised Jews to avoid wearing traditional skullcaps following anti-Semitic attacks. Joseph Schuster, the president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany, told Berlin Public Radio that Jews should exercise caution in big cities. Jewish organisations in Germany have expressed alarm over a number of recent anti-Semitic insults and threats in schools. A 25-year-old man who praised mass shooter Elliot Roger on Facebook is being questioned by police after driving a rented van into a crowd of pedestrians in Toronto on Monday, leaving 10 people dead and 15 injured. Like Rogers, Alec Manassian described himself as an incel, short for involuntarily celibate. American Apparel is back. The retailer filed for bankruptcy in 2016 after a series of scandals surrounding controversial founder Dov Charney. The Back to Basics campaign features a range of models in tracksuits and t-shirts across the brand's social media channels. A curator at the British Museum has posited that Rodin's famous thinker sculpture may actually be in mourning rather than just musing. Ian Jenkins believes that the hand and the chin denote grief, not thought. Boris Johnson and Theresa May are at loggerheads over the Windrush generation. The Foreign Secretary demanded that amnesty should be extended beyond just the Commonwealth migrants who arrived from the Caribbean in the 1970s to anyone who has lived in Britain for a number of years, excusing those with a criminal record. And that was the top line. Yes, there's prizes in store and much, much more when you play Supermarket Sweep. R.I.P. Dale Winton. It's sad, that, isn't it? And R.I.P. Avicii. Avicii. The yeah. DJ died aged just 28. Mm, Very I know. sad. But long live the fake town crier who has <laughs> just absolutely brightened my week. And also what I really like is the guild. There's like a guild of real town criers who are like officially appointed to do yeah and they have nothing but nice things to say about the fake town crier they said he's got a lot of nerve and what towns do they go i haven't seen any criers around i don't know northwest london i haven't done masses of research but they're so they i think they could have been very snooty about the fake town crier and they said they think he's very funny and they admire his chutzpah 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. this week is that the Duchess of Cambridge has given birth to a baby boy. The baby, weighing eight pounds and six ounces, was born on Monday and the Duchess was photographed leaving St Mary's Hospital yesterday with her third child and husband Prince William. Of course, what everyone is talking about isn't what the baby might be called. I'm thinking James, good solid royal name, but what Kate looked like, specifically how good she looked given that she had given birth just hours before. Clad in a red Jenny Packham shift dress, which apparently she has worn twice before, with heels and a big bouncy blow dry, the only hint that she is newly postpartum was the softly rounded tummy. The tabloids immediately gleaned a full rundown of Kate's glam squad. The Sun revealed that Kate's hairdresser Amanda Cook Tucker was on hand at the Lindo wing with an array of tools and products. 13 brushes, 7 combs, 2 hair dryers and 3 curling tongs apparently to be precise. Two hair dryers. Well the big question posed is how does she look so good having just given birth? The bigger question for us at the high-low is should she have to look this good and what does that say both for and to other women? I find it so skeevy. It really creeps me out. I've said it once before. I think it will be used as a scene in a future episode of Black Mirror in years and years to come. Moments after it was announced the Duchess of Cambridge had given birth, the journalist Lauren Bravo tweeted, can't stop thinking about poor Kate wrestling into her nude tights as we speak. My God, I didn't think about the tights. I Mm. really hope they cut her a special pair with a really sort of squashy gusset. Seriously. (laughs) I think it's easy for people to forget that standing on the steps of the Lindo Wing wasn't a personal choice for Kate. It it was a duty. Anyone who thinks that she wanted to put on the bright red dress and beam for the cameras mere hours after undergoing a severe physical and emotional trauma is quite frankly stark raving mad. It is required of her as the future Queen of England to deliver that photograph. And I feel desperately empathetic for her, whilst also acknowledging that she knew that this was going to be part of every birth experience that she had. She consciously signed up for everything associated with being the wife of Prince William. I truly believe that. They've been together for a very long time. I think she entered that partnership utterly knowledgeable about what was ahead of her. I don't believe she went into that union blind, though arguably Princess Diana did when she married Charles. But why should she... The question is, why should she have to sign up for that at all? I mean, mm. on the subject, I just find duty such a, like, embarrassingly... Esoteric. Esoteric and archaic and just mm. just stupid word. I just... I, I, I wonder who, who is the duty for? Because everyone I know who l- looked at these pictures found it unnerving and strange they they didn't find them joyful but then I suppose that might be the bubble I live in and perhaps there really are lots of people who would have felt extremely disappointed had they not seen a a formal photo of her immediately I think it may partly be the liberal echo chamber I think a lot of people would be very disappointed I suppose it's the royals relationship with the media that they have to provide that money shot or they'll be hounded in terrifying ways do you remember the topless shots of Kate on the boat. Oh, yeah. So maybe in their own way, it's their way of... Protection. Con- protection. I think if that could be extended to any celebrity that mm-hmm. does, you know, the big paid reveal. 
people have a really rote line when it comes to the roles, which is, but they're so lucky, I can't feel sorry for them. But as someone who has recently given birth, so personal bias is all I have here, I couldn't stand for 12 hours after having my baby. Many women can't get out of bed for days. You are hemorrhaging for, well, anything up to six weeks. Do I envy her standing on the steps with her newborn baby? No, but I don't pity her. She'll have a household full of staff at home waiting to help with the baby because they are very rich and can afford such. But that doesn't mean that my heart doesn't go out to her. I don't pity her, but my God, do I empathise having to stage that very public performance during a very private and vulnerable time. My God, she does it with aplomb. My God, she's a good princess. Sally Hughes wrote a great piece for The Pool about... um, why that whole, but they're royals, I don't feel sorry for them line doesn't really wash in this instance of labour, which she says sort of privilege doesn't really spare you, you know, the pain. Yeah, yeah. So to quote the piece, she said, log on to any social media app and see people claim the Duchess is far from being a normal mother, whose photo call is a small price to pay for the many more maternal privileges she enjoys than the average woman. Very few mothers get to hang out in a private suite at the Lindo Wing, the world's finest obstetric professionals at their disposal. No nurse is having to breathe down their neck in the hope of emptying the bed for the next patient. How many women bring a new child into the world without any worries whatsoever about how they will pay for their upbringing or how long they might be able to stay off work before returning to earn a crust, let alone have the freedom and security of professional childcare on tap while they're there? It's absolutely true that Kate has greater resources and care than almost any new mother in the world, but none of that ameliorates the same indiscriminate trauma subjected by childbirth on women. At the risk of committing treasonous slander, a regal vagina has to stretch and contract just the same as mine or yours, and no doubt hurts every bit as much. Mine just got to hide in baggy pyjamas until I could put one foot in front of the other, without worrying my insides might fall on the carpet. Absolutely, a foof is a foof is a foof. She might have all the perks in the world, but she still has a vagina regularis. Mm. Great piece, Sally. We live in a time now, thankfully, but also sometimes exhaustingly, where we question every single construct. While Kate is indeed subscribing to The Good Princess, donning her frock, presenting the new role, babe, you have to wonder if it sends out the right communication about birth. The same reasons that I empathise with her are the same as to why I feel concern about her having to present her baby on the day it's born. Side note, there are some conspiracy theories that she actually had her baby a few days earlier. I'm not really sure if this could be possible because of the way you have to record the royal birth. Mm-hmm. Or even the fact that the royal family have to release a statement when the poor woman is in labour. Yeah. The amount we knew about her birth was extraordinary. We know that she has 30 people present for the birth or not necessarily in the room but there's 30 30 staff assembled for the royal birth for some reason i find their usage of twitter hilarious i still expect them to have well this is in keeping with your your earlier top line a royal bard with a golden tannoy announcing (laughs) everything in in rhyme i already think that there is i already think that there's not enough respect around birth in the modern age there's this idea that you just pop out the baby and then you're just bowling around town with your mini pal and perhaps that's really perpetuated by the celebrity you know Giselle being back in shape in two weeks on the catwalk thing in the olden days women were quite literally hidden away while they were pregnant and whilst I really don't think that that's good either you shouldn't be confined to a moo and shut away for nine months there was certainly more respect for what a woman goes through you stayed in hospital for 10 days in our in our mother's age when you mm. had a baby now of course there aren't the resources for you to do that and arguably um the nhs is is so good at delivering babies that there's no reason why if you're healthy you and your baby can't go home that same day 
But my doctor told me this week, and it's really fascinated me, that there is a reason why a surgeon won't perform an operation on a woman who has given birth within the last six months unless she really, really needs one. It's a huge physical trauma. And it doesn't just take weeks. It doesn't just take a few months. It's six months, they think, before you can be, quote, unquote, back to normal. And I found it, as you know, Dolly, incredibly insulting when people have emailed me to ask if I'm having a restful maternity leave seven weeks after I've had a daughter. Giving birth is incredible, but it feels like you have been flayed of your skin, emotionally and literally. Your hormones are racing around your body for three months post-birth. That is what maternity leave is for, to recover. That is what Kate was facing on the day that she had Mm. her baby. And I'm not going to apologise, as I would perhaps in another situation for TMI here, because TMI is the very thing we are missing, I think, in this instance. You are both an open wound and flayed of skin through birth. So that picture you see of Kate with her softened tummy, it's because her uterus hasn't yet contracted. It is a physical sign Mm. of what her body has just gone through. Mm. I think one of the most infuriating things that I read is that the broadcaster, John Humphreys, said on BBC Radio 4's Today, you can imagine a lot of young mothers hating her. I mean, I don't know. It's really helpful, isn't it? But it's it's also, it's it's offensive and patronising and deeply misogynistic, but it's also just categorically untrue. You know, right off the back of everything you've just said and your personal experience of, of, of physically what that feels like, every woman I know who's had a kid and people sympathise who haven't had a kid but who know what childbirth is like, just feel, they don't feel jealous at all. They just feel total horror for her. I really think it's great that we've got um, an old man uh, <laughs> describing young mothers hating one another. What an utterly enraging thing to say. How completely and utterly extraordinary. He actually has cheese for brains sometimes, doesn't he, that man? John Humphreys, yeah. The journalist Stacey Duguid posted a picture of Kate yesterday on Instagram in her red dress alongside one of Diana, also in a red dress and beaming whilst holding William, which was quite meta. And the caption read, Go Kate, I say. You'll never win, so you might as well look bloody good trying. And there's so much truth in that. She really can't win. If she'd come out of the Lindon wing looking like shit, people would have gone, where's our princess? She doesn't look like a princess. You know, she had her hair done. And I quite understand this, actually, because the picture of her on the steps would have been beamed around the world and she probably wanted to feel nice or at least feel like her hair was done nicely at a time when she was feeling really, really vulnerable. Yeah, but also I think going back to that sort of self-protection thing, a part of me was like, you know, more and more that that couple when they issue photos it's photos that they've taken so i thought isn't there control isn't there a world in which you could just she could stick on a bit of mascara if she really wants to and just be lying in the bed with the baby and her husband take the picture but then maybe that's just way too intimate i mean i wouldn't share that with everyone i don't think so maybe actually in their that this sort of pomp and ceremony is what protects them the stageness yeah. of it yeah is is what protects her it feels like the only that's 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 when i felt my heartstrings tug is it feels like the only sign of that vulnerability is that little softened tummy mm. that's the only sort of giveaway isn't it it's the chink in the armor mm. i think that's the thing that as i said i i sort of couldn't stop concentrating on on the flip side whilst I worry about the message this picture sends to adults like Humphreys amongst other people I think it's really important to remember that Kate is just one woman she isn't a vessel for our hopes and dreams and cultural touchstones and for that very reason I was initially reluctant to talk about this topic because I really detest all the commentary about the royal family the endless speculation and the constant constant criticism of everything that Kate and now Meghan wears why do we care if the Duchess of Cambridge has boring 
style or if she wears you know too many LK Bennett nude shoes or Matalo jerseys I find this idea of ownership and sort of actually giving a shit about the minutiae really very troubling we can't hold one woman accountable for everything but I felt too impassioned about this particular experience not to discuss it so whilst I do feel sad and I worry what precedent she sets that she is able to stand there looking glam when actually the reality is that that's very very rare I also think and arguably I'm going exactly against this by speaking about it right now that we need to let every woman have her own birth story and her own birth experience I really admired one of my best friends when her brother-in-law said to her a few weeks after giving birth god you look amazing you're so skinny again already and she said don't congratulate me for being skinny congratulate me for giving birth Mm. congratulate me for feeding my son I've definitely been posting pictures on Instagram with my baby where I look nice because it doesn't really enter my head to take them when she's sobbing or I'm hunched over cluster feeding as you say it's that vulnerability but then recently someone messaged me saying that I was making motherhood look easy and although it was an innocuous message and I don't think it was especially loaded it really stuck in my head is it my responsibility to other mothers to portray motherhood in a certain way, the messiness of it all? If so, I then thought, how do I do that? I felt really kind of private about the ins and outs of my experience. And also I'm feeling good. That's why the portrayal is positive. But it's a minefield really, isn't it? I hate the idea mm. that I might be somehow doing a disservice to other mothers, somehow making other mothers feel worse. As I've said to you before, Doll, and I will say to you many times again, probably on this podcast, motherhood is controversial in a way I couldn't possibly Mm. imagine. It's why I avoid mum's net like the plague. But on the upside, they do have very cute little babies. That that picture of its face, it's it's very, very cute. At least they've got a cute little baby out of it. And anyway, we do it all without the baby. It's a walk in the park and placentas are lovely to look at. Would you have done it just for the placenta? Absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) Google them, they're gorgeous. Support from the Hilo comes from Treatwell. You can browse local salons online, find the best deals and book your treatment on the website or via the Treatwell app. It couldn't be easier. Treatwell is the brighter way to book beauty. It's simpler, it's easier and it's smarter. Plus, you can choose your salon by browsing within your budget or looking at user reviews. Last week, we talked about how spring has sprung. Since then, we've had a heat wave so intense it saw me manically trying to book a spray tan. I totally forgot, and it would have been impossible anyway. But the impulse was there, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that endeavour, especially if you have a slew of summer weddings coming up. Yes, wedding season is truly upon us. Legs, nails, hair, tan. Thank God for Treatwell, quite frankly, as I have a long list of beauty requirements, as I'm sure you do too. Men as much as women. As we know, I'm always partial to a massage, but yet again, my trotters really need some attention for some open-toed wedding shoes. No change there, then. It's always to do with the trotters with you. Don't forget to use our exclusive discount, HILO10, H-I-G-H-L-O-W, and the number 10, to get £10 off your first order. Thank you very much to Treatwell. On to another child currently capturing the world's attention. The 14-year-old actor Millie Bobby Brown has become the youngest person ever to be included on Time magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people. She's become a cultural icon since appearing as the character Eleven in the hit series Stranger Things and is also about to become one of the youngest Hollywood stars ever to land a producer credit on a feature film, working on an adaptation of Nancy Springer's Enola Holmes' Mysteries, recounting the adventures of Sherlock Holmes' younger sister, 
who she is set to play. Reports also say she may end up earning much more than her fellow co-stars on Stranger Things. So I think we can all agree we're talking about your standard, underachieving, lazy teenager in a gap fleece here. What colour was yours? Mine was bubblegum pink with a grey interior. Marvellous colour combination. I had, I had the rainbow of gap. I just was absolutely obsessed. So was I. Hoodies, pants, tracksuit bottoms. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Each <laughs> entry on Time's list is accompanied by a piece written by a close friend or admirer. For Millie Bobby Brown, it was Breaking Bad actor and self-confessed superfan Aaron Paul. Two of them became friends after Paul interviewed her for Elle magazine. Naming her as an extraordinary talent in the piece, Paul wrote of the first time they met in New York. She may have been 12 in years, but her spirit and mind were timeless. A wise woman was speaking from her cherubic face. It was like speaking to a future mentor with a perspective and groundedness that I could only have dreamed of at that age, or at any age, if I'm being honest. She somehow understands the human experience as if she has lived it for a thousand years. I'm proud to know her. Alongside Millie Bobby Brown on the list are Cardi B, our favourite, Rihanna, Elon Musk, Kesha, Emmanuel Macron, Sadiq Khan, Nicole Kidman, Roger Federer and Oprah Winfrey. There's no doubt that Millie Bobby Brown is obviously a very impressive and unusual person but I think the question today is, is she too young to be on this list and in fact is she too young to have this level of attention and adoration full stop? I wonder if we could do an episode without mentioning Cardi B. She has become the unofficial guiding light. I found Aaron Paul's piece about Millie Bobby Brown a little bit weird. I have to say, it made me feel a bit uncomfortable. It was like speaking to a future mentor. He's sort of making her sound like a kind of Benjamin Button savant who's lived on the earth for 400 years. Yeah, I mean, the old MBB debate isn't especially new. It's just writ large now because she's obviously so much more famous. I wrote a piece for the Sunday Times Style about two years ago, I think it was, when Stranger Things first blew up, about how she'd taken over the fashion world after she appeared on the covers of two artsy biannuals, So It Goes and Interview magazine. Neither magazine really confronted the fact that it was problematic to have a 12-year-old on their cover wearing luxury, ready-to-wear, i.e. no clothes that a 12-year-old could afford. Um, But I remember the Telegraph's Victoria Moss at the time expressed disgust over these covers and maybe perhaps my piece I can't really remember but in truth I can't remember if I mentioned it in my piece myself but I did find it really weird and I continue to find it really weird that fashion brands were courting her Mm. the way they were she was on the front row of coach and burberry being paid to promote brands via her instagram she works for converse a lot and has done for a few years she had millions of followers aged just 12 she now has 16.2 million followers on instagram at the time i remember writing in the piece that i'd read that her brother came everywhere with her her mum did her twitter her auntie did her instagram and styled her or a combination to that effect on various platforms and it consoled me but you do now get the feeling that she's a fully fledged individual she may be super advanced for her age she may not be a drew barrymore or or, or a tatum o'neill it's catastrophizing and generalizing to predict that she'll have some child star meltdown she could just be like rookie founder tabby jevonson who really was preternaturally intelligent and emotionally intelligent and entrepreneurial and together it's less about how millie bobby brown portrays herself for me and more about how the world treats her or panders to her. What does it say when a 14-year-old is the most powerful human in the room? Is, is that dangerous? Yeah, I mean, it does make me so nervous when I read about how adored this kid is because without being too cynical, I do worry in, in this realm, what goes up must come down when it comes to people being completely escalated 
as a celebrity to the point of them being a deity in a very short space of time more often than not the inevitable fallout of that is that there is a phenomenal backlash and a fall from grace and i think that kind of obsessive attention being lumped onto a person without them really having a say in it and then very quickly being removed and it's normally removed usually just because everyone's just a bit bored of the one note kind of positivity around them I think that's hard enough to to deal with and make sense of as an adult I have no idea as a kid how you would deal with that I don't even think it's that she should have to curb herself or her own ambitions I think it's that others should actively curb the way in which they frame, frame her. her yeah. Particularly with young women, see Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus, both were raised up only to be torn down. I mean, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, like Lena Dunham, is still a sort of dirty word, isn't she, to many? And the idea of this happening to a teenage girl, a young teenage girl, is even more worrying. And it's not that I don't think, I know some people have this opinion, I don't hold this opinion that children can't be actors or models. Some children are very, very happy in the spotlight. Elle and Dakota Fanning have both been acting since they were toddlers. And although there was a mild controversy, I seem to remember, around Elle fronting a Mew Mew campaign and being a sort of general fashion darling before the age of 16, it didn't feel like it was on the mass scale of Millie Bobby Brown Mm. in that Time magazine weren't putting either of them in their 100 most Mm. influential humans across the globe. At risk of sounding patronising, I just also worry that when I don't really know where you go from there, when you become queen of the world at 14, there's a chance she will be able to sustain that level of success and widespread love as an actor and a public figure for the next potentially like 70 years. But I think that would be difficult. And when you've made masses of money, you have 16 million followers, been on every list, met all your heroes, and you're still four years away from even entering earliest adulthood, I just feel like it's going to be so much more of a challenge to make to make the rest of your life mean something. My friend India, who is obsessed with space, told me this thing once about how apparently when astronauts come back from the moon, a very common thing is that they face this catatonic depression when they're back on Earth because once they've stood 400,000 kilometres away from the Earth and seen how tiny and insignificant it is, it's too hard to compute Um, an existence on it and I often think about this as a metaphor for life and I think it's one that applies here I'm obviously not qualified to sit here and psychoanalyze Millie Bobby Brown as if I know her but I think more generally speaking of people who get phenomenal and overwhelming success and money very very young it's kind of like being catapulted to the moon and I don't know how you would deal with an inevitable journey elsewhere it's a beautiful metaphor Stolen from someone else. Are you a writer by any chance? <laughs> it's interesting because it reminds me of a piece I was reading by Josh Glancy on Ronan Farrow in um, Sunday Times magazine. He graduated from Bard College age 15. He then went to Yale Law School. He was a UNICEF spokesperson for the youth. He then was a special advisor for youth subjects, you know, to Hillary Clinton. I mean, this was all by the age mm. of 21. He was a Rhodes Scholar, which is like an unbelievably elite and prestigious um, scholarship to Oxbridge. So, you know, here we have another example of an incredibly, incredibly talented, very privileged, slightly under the spotlight, but not with, but not lauded by pop culture and the media in that way, sort of very, very um, accomplished, but 
in a in a quiet kind of way mm. which which offers some kind of protection i think mm. also as the show's resident and very proud octogenarian <laughs> I do think there's a distinct lack of old people on that list. And I know a lot of people think I'm being deliberately contrarian or dismissive of pop culture or pretentious or, or I don't know, trying to be different somehow. But generally, I do just think that older people are often the most interesting and they're always the most overlooked. And I know this is a list about power and influence and the zeitgeist, so it's important and only correct that there are lots of younger current public figures and creators on it. But more generally, I think we need to be hounding 14-year-old girls less for their picture and for their opinions and shift some of that focus onto a 70-year-old woman more. I mean, the list is quite odd. Um, It definitely is a bit obsessed with the zeitgeist, although I'm not denying that old Cardi B should be on there because she has been an absolute pop culture phenomenon, particularly on social media. But it does seem a bit odd that Nicole Kidman's on it. And actually, it's not even that... It's not even that I find it problematic per se that a teenager is on it because if Malala was on it, and I'm sure if she's not on it this year, she's been on it before. If Malala was on it, I would understand. I mean, she was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. But Millie Bobby Brown is on it for what? Being like a really brilliant actor for being in a Netflix series. I can't... The way in which we are awarding teenage talent in this very prestigious list feels a bit off that's mm. the difficult thing it's not even that it's not that I don't think she can be an actor it's not that I don't think that teenagers can be on power lists it's that her influence is derived very much from her image or what she's wearing um, and it's absolutely true as you say our society fetishizes youth in a really discombobulating way another good case would be the sort of number one new supermodel of the moment Cindy Crawford's daughter Kaya Gerber she's 16 legs like Bambi you know she's a, like a culty teenage girl and I remember seeing a magazine when I was in New York last year before she really quote unquote blew up when she was 15 years old maybe even 14 and the strap line above a picture of her was most beautiful girl in the world and I just remember thinking eesh you know is there a way of making it mandatory for fashion brands or any brands in fact not to court a kid before she or he is 18 that seems like Mm. a good barometer 18 Millie Bobby Brown seems like a really cool, really switched on, clever person. So I understand the intrigue around her and I'm sure she has a really great team around her. You mentioned that you had written about how she has this family around her. To the actual award ceremony, I noted she took her dad with her. So I'm sure she does have that unit. I just hope she doesn't feel pressured or constricted by this new public identity because it's a very, very young age for which to sign off your public identity. And let's not forget how many times people change their personality or their opinions or their hair or their clothes or indeed everything about themselves from the age of 14 onwards. And it would be sad to feel she doesn't have that same freedom while under such an intense gaze. A friend of mine who worked with her two years ago said that she was the most terrifyingly assured human he had ever met. Not child, human. I have no doubt she is far more resilient and world-wise than we were age 14. But is she one of the hundred most influential people in the world? Perhaps we should be a bit more resistant to that influence. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. I think it's a really important uh, email that we've got this week and um, I've wanted to read it for a few weeks and I'm really, really glad that we're getting a chance to. It begins. I was wondering if you could cover the difference between a feminist and an equalist. 
I was talking to a friend the other day who said she wasn't a feminist because she believes in equal rights for everyone, whatever sex, sexual orientation, race, religion, etc. Of course, I absolutely agree, but no, there is a lot of debate about whether someone should call themselves a feminist or an equalist. Actually, reading that, is it even called an equalist? But hey, in the spirit of Neville, I'm asking the stupid question. Good, be more Neville, that's our mantra. But I think a lot of people have this have this question in their minds. I, I think get... it's important that we in a, try and talk about it or clear it up. I just get really depressed when people see a feminist as something which is exclusive or one note. So if you're a feminist, that means you can't believe in racial equality or any other kind of equality that you're that you're just dogmatic about gender equality you can be a feminist and lots of other things i always remember sarah jessica parker when asked if she was a feminist in a she probably wouldn't say it now post mm. me too she probably wouldn't say that but a couple of years ago when she was asked if she was a feminist and she said no i'm a humanist and it's like you do first of all that's just not even a thing it's not even a thing is an equalist a thing I don't know. I completely understand where where that etymology would come from. And, and, and I completely, please don't feel stupid because I understand what you're saying. And I understand how it might be confusing that feminists say that they want equal rights. And yet sometimes it may seem like feminists have too much focus on women. But the thing is, is that we live in a world where there is such a huge disparity between the existence of a woman and the existence of a man, where so many women per week still die at the hands of men, in a world where there is still an enormous pay gap, in a world where women's reproductive rights are still being controlled by men. I could go on and on and on and on. So until that gap is closed, if you hear a feminist talking a lot about rights of women or making a joke at men's expense or talking about patriarchy. It's not because they don't want men to have less rights than we do. It's because we have to close that gap first before we can hope of ever having a truly equal conversation around it. Just on the subject of the term equalist, where you say, is that even a term? It's actually not a recognised term. It's it's an urban dictionary, you know, colloquial term. And I think the point I would want to make is that you can be a feminist and care about all those other things. And maybe we should be less focused on having a name or a label for everything. Like, oh, I'm a feminist and I also believe in racial equality and I also believe that and this and that and this and that. It should just be a given that if you are a feminist, so you care about equal rights for men and women, then by extension you would care about equal rights for all races, for all social classes, for all economic brackets. For me, it shouldn't be that it is at the expense of something else. But as Dolly says, if it feels like we are weighted more towards the female cause at the moment, it's because there's this momentum. And I think people are aware that when there is momentum, you have to you have to catch it and hold on to it and hope it leads as a vehicle for change. Thank you very much for this question. It's a really interesting topic and one that we could have debated for a lot longer. Thank you very much for listening to The Hilo episode 52. You can email us thehiloshow at gmail.com or tweet us at The Hilo Show. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.